the summer of love, heat exhaustion, and fires. Today I'm talking about Woodstock 99. This is Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. movie friends welcome to scott's self-indulgent movie podcast i am scott and today i am talking about a recent documentary you can watch on hbo max which is it's called i believe music box is as the kind of opener for it that maybe have a series going and then woodstock 99 peace love and rage and i thought this documentary was very good very i thought it was expertly made and just kind of breaks down all the forces that went into Woodstock 99 and then why it turned out the way that it did, which is to say an infamous mess. So without any further ado, let's get started. One of the things I've always found fascinating is how opinions about music changes so drastically after a decade or more. For instance, as a child in the late 90s and early 2000s, I watched as the new metal movement exploded, almost as a reaction to teen pop. It was like liking songs by Stained, Limp Bizkit, and Linkin Park was a statement against the Backstreet Boys or NSYNC. This is what real music sounded like. Which is hilarious now, because almost all of the bands I just listed are now viewed as music to be enjoyed ironically, if not cringe-inducing time capsules. Even Weird Al was able to jump in on the jokes by incorporating a series of new metal songs into one of his polka medleys, the Angry White Boy Polka. And that's not to say the genre is completely devoid of merit, good songs, or artists with staying power. But it was absolutely a genre with a very specific kind of audience and outlook that could explode in the wrong circumstances, like Woodstock 99. After the success of Woodstock 1994, the music world was shocked as the 1999 edition broke out into violence, sexual assault, fire, and a series of hospitalizations. So how did that happen? Tracking the 99 festival from inception to its final days, this documentary examines the cultural forces and organizational disasters that led to destruction and trauma. As someone who was old enough to hear about the festival, even I didn't know all of the artists and many of the things that went wrong. I was just curious about what made this version of Woodstock so different and so awful. And I think the film does an excellent job of demonstrating why, so here's what stands out. First off, the organizers were shitheads, bad organizers, and completely out of touch. The film has an understandable and well-supported thesis. This could have been avoided. Perhaps this would have been okay if one or two major elements were changed, but when stacked together, this was a recipe for disaster. Most of the folks interviewed either portray this as ignorance, stupidity, or poor planning, or all of the above. As it's quickly pointed out, the original Woodstock was a shit show that has earned legendary status via the recorded performances, not the reality on the ground. And 1994 was a near-perfect time to bring back the whole Summer of Love vibe. It meant things like security, supplies, and water weren't going to be giant problems, probably aided by the rain as well. But it's clear that there were gigantic problems that could have been avoided, which I'll divide into three tiers. The first tier is supplies. Considering how many people were coming out for an extended period of time, you needed an immense amount of supplies, including food, water, shelter, and beyond. And it should be readily accessible and managed well. Which is why it was startling to hear that in conditions that gave people heat stroke, water was sold for four bucks a bottle, the same as beer. 
Maybe you could get away from this when it was raining like crazy in 1994, but not in 100-plus degree heat on hot asphalt on a former military base. And that's before we get into overflowing toilets and generally unsanitary conditions with walls that literally trapped people inside. The second big problem was personnel. The problem with personnel cut two ways. First, there were not nearly enough people to provide security, health services, and more for all of these people for this extended period of time, which is exacerbated if you don't train them properly or screen them. As it's portrayed in the film, many of the security people or health team members were poorly trained, never had to be field tested, or simply took their credentials and enjoyed the festival as onlookers versus volunteers. Which means people are getting negligent medical attention or worse, ignoring things that could threaten their personal safety. And the third problem was the audience they courted. Woodstock 99 catered to the new metal crowd. The group that was hyped to see Korn, Limp Bizkit, and Metallica, which meant a bunch of angry white boys. So in terms of setting an atmosphere, all you had was a barrage of aggression and fans in terrible conditions who were probably angry at the world and the promoters. Some of the acts that didn't fit the bill, like Jewel and Moby, note how out of place and unsafe they felt with hostile audiences. So when you hear one of the promoters blaming Limp Bizkit for starting a riot, or worse, blaming women for being assaulted, it's really hard to take. The dude calls Kurt Loder, the notoriously even-keeled MTV reporter, a wannabe war correspondent. Take responsibility, you dickhead. The second thing the movie does really well is capture the cultural moment. I think this documentary, and in particular the interviews with former MTV VJ Dave Holmes, perfectly capture this moment in time when it comes to culture and specifically music. MTV had become more mainstream than ever, and you had genres like pop music and nu metal battling each other out on Total Request Live or TRL for top spots. There were two disparate audiences, two disparate audiences with two very different approaches, and the nu metal crowd was angry at anyone and everyone telling them no or making them feel uncomfortable, including women. And I'd be very curious to see a longer documentary about how the progressive and emotional music of grunge became new metal, with artists who celebrated ignorance and wanton destruction seemingly just to feel something. I think the most telling elements are when people point out how new metal, a genre that could have been could have had the weight of great rap music, including the lyricism and insight, and instead pumped out the aggression and often the misogyny. And then we get into the hard stuff. I'm very thankful that this documentary, one, warns the audience about the frank depictions of sexual assault, and two, highlights how pervasive it was. While the property destruction got most of the media attention, hearing from concert goers who left or were assaulted is utterly heartbreaking. Same goes for someone describing how, her, how their friend died and could still be alive if they had proper medical care. Which is also why the defense of the festivals feels so hollow. Whether there was an audience for this or not, the trauma and death that came from this could have and should have been avoided. When I imagine all of the misogyny that is still pervasive in my generation and beyond, this and the Britney Spears documentary are a frightening lens into how so many people took their anger and pointed it at the wrong targets. The verdict is, it's a tough watch, but a phenomenal film. Expertly told, Woodstock 99 expertly captures the infamous festival and its moment. 8 out of 10. This has been Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie World. Stay safe, everybody, and I'll catch you next time.